Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Alex. Um, Alex and I had a deal that he was going to come and talk here. He was going to do the service hosting. And thank you, Alex, for keeping your word. I think those are the kinds of things I like to do. Make others see their potential and in their life, and at the very least, get on a journey to discover it. So I'm excited to be standing here before you today to speak about um, this book that we've been doing, Every Good Endeavor, to be part of those who were called upon to speak. Uh, when I was asked to speak, I was told because I am in the workspace, not in the church, I'm in the marketplace, as, as we like to call it here in Karura. And because I could identify with some of the challenges, I was given the topic of our problem with work which is fruitlessness and pointlessness. Having gone through school, tried to struggle in high school to figure out what it is I want to do when I grow up, and then in university trying to figure out, out of thin air, literally, I'll take this course and I'm going to try and make the best of it in that workspace. And to be honest with you, I still am trying to make the best out of it. So out of that whole background, I thought of a story to start this, um, this topic of our problems with work. So we're going to meet Juma. Juma came to Nairobi when he was 16 years old. He has grown up in a family, you know, with his family all around him, and just like every other young person, he dreams of big things and he wants to do big things, so he finally gets an opportunity to come to Nairobi, and he's heard it's the place to be, so he comes in, and as fate would have it, he lands a job with the government. And of course, he's excited about it. He starts working and he works. By the time he's 30 years, he's married with four children. He's risen up the ranks and he's doing very well for himself. So at the age of 35, his boss gets a good job in a private company and decides to go with his trusted employee, Juma. So they move from the government side to the private sector side. So Juma takes this job with a new pay. He's you know, living the life. And he takes now his children to very good schools. But the new job comes a few challenges. It has late hours that he has to put in. He doesn't have much time for his family. The weekends are work days too. So his children grow up, they complete school, and he manages maybe after the last bone is done with school to work for another five years, and then now he hits retirement. So he goes back to the village with his wife, where he came from. And of course, when he compares the city life and the village life, the perks of being in the city are gone. His children have no time for him. They call and speak to their mother. They're happy to interact with their mother, but they really don't have a relationship with him. He tries to remember the many times his boss said to him, thank you for the great work done, good job, and he gets a bonus or some monetary um, reward for the good work he has done. But as he sits there in the village, he's trying to figure out to himself, did he waste his life? He never had time to pursue his dreams. He never had time to visit his friends. He never had time to take care of his children, to have time with his wife. And now he has all the time in the world, but he has just no relationships, no engagements. That tends to be the typical life that people live. You pursue your dreams, you pursue your goals, but at some point it looks to you 
like what was the point of it all? What was the point or what was the benefit of it? King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man, he reflects upon these things in life and he says everything is meaningless. And so as we get into the text that Timothy Keller has been using in the book, I just want us to have that in our background and just think of where we are right now and where Juma ended up and how that plays out in our fruitlessness and pointlessness of work. So taking us back to Genesis, Adam and Eve talked and walked with God in harmony. And in the fall of man, we see Adam and Eve disobeying God. At some point, they decided that it would be better for them to have their own authority rather than to be under God's authority. They perhaps didn't make that decision consciously, but their actions ended up there. And all of a sudden, everything started working the wrong way. Things started working backwards. They started hiding from each other, which was not something that they did. They started hiding from God, which was not something that they did. Um, Adam and Eve couldn't admit their sin when God called them to it. And Timothy Keller talks about this as, as the effects of sin. Whenever you encounter sin, most times you're not able to deny it, nor can you accept it, because you're like, did I do it? Yes, I did it, but can I really say I did it? No, I won't say I did it. And this has been seen as a foundation that was laid at that time of misunderstanding, frustration, deep conflict, and unhappiness in the, is, has become the normal part of our relationships between men and women. We just don't seem to understand each other. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And the story of blame, everybody didn't want to accept it. And sometimes we may look at Adam and Eve and think uh, they should have just come clean before God. But I think we can all relate with this when your parents bust you and you've done something, they catch you red-handed. And you know they know that you have done what you have done. But you know you're not going to say that it's you. Isn't it? I want us to have an interacting court. But you're like, yeah, but do I really say it's me? Then you're like, no. So you ha always have this conflict. And that's the conflict that, that we are referring to here. So nothing seems to work the way it was. Physically, we now have illnesses. We have cravings. Socially, we are always seeking to belong somewhere. Culturally, we are seeking our identity. Psychologically, they had a lot of shame, mistrust, fear. We're always seeking them ritually. We were separated from God. And so the relationship that Adam and Eve had, no lo they no longer had it with God. We often know that there is something wrong with us, but we can't really identify it. And when we do, we run away from it. When we look at uh, the previous sermons and the, what we have learned so far, the two tasks that God gave us was to love and to work. And these two tasks have become increasingly difficult for us as human beings. And even when God punished Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, he tied the pain of love and the pain of work very closely together. As has been mentioned before, work is not in itself a curse. And by work here, I don't mean what we do to make money. I mean what you do from when you wake up till when you go to sleep. Work in itself is not a curse. The fact that we're seated here, somebody had to come and arrange these seats, that was work that they did. There was a sermon series we did a while back that referenced that everything we do in life should be to worship God. I remember one of the most basic examples we were given was that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that is in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. 
And so when you do not clean your body, when you do not nourish your body by eating the right things, or when you do not take care of your body by getting enough rest, you're not taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when you do these things, you should do them in awareness that you're doing them to honor God. And I thought to myself, oh, bathing, you know, eating, these are things we do all the time. Those are the kinds of things I want you to think about, the things you do all the time that to you seem so mm, normal, but that is what was not essentially a curse. If somebody had to tell you that you were going to live for, let's say you knew you had 10 days to live, and for those 10 days you have to wash your body 10 times, you would think of that as work, right? 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 But how comes you don't think of it as work every day when you wash your body or when you eat? You actually eat three, some people even six times a day. Nobody thinks of that as work. So let's not think of work as a curse. But let's think about some basic, simple things that we do. Because I know when we talk about work, most of us think about what we do as employment, but I really want us to get down to the very basics of it. What are some of the basic things you do as work? Could somebody give me an example? <laughs> Washing clothes, great, yes. Waking up every morning, literally getting out of bed, eh? that is work, uh-huh. Somebody else? Another last example, please. I'm thinking of making your bed, preparing food, washing dishes, picking up rubbish, throwing it in the right place. You know when you have to carry it till you get to the dustbin and drop it in there? Just think about the simple things in life. And all these examples are examples of work. Only when we understand how sin has distorted what we view as work, then we hope to counteract its effects. Then is when we'll be able to salvage the satisfaction that God intended for us to have when he said, we shall work. When he actually told Adam, here is the garden, I would want you to work, take care of it and work it. Keller describes work after the fall of man as thorns and thistles. Thorns and like weeds or something. They keep shooting up like weeds in the garden, interfering with the goal of a rich harvest. Seeing basically makes us see work in that way. We have like another view now because seeing is here. So we look at work as this thing that is just um, not what we would prefer to do or not what we were asked to do and therefore we are not obedient to doing it. As we endeavor to do good, we eventually realize we either lack the ability to, sometimes you want to wake up in the morning and you're just like, I don't have the strength to get out of bed. Or if you really have the capacity to do and the ability to, you realize that whatever you had planned to achieve just never worked out the way you intended for it to work out. I'll give you an example. So you're looking to use these talents God has given you to honor him. And you think to yourself, because I am skilled in doing, fill in whatever your skill is, fill it in right there, then I'm going to become the best, fill that task there. So I'll give you a, a tangible example. When I ask many people, what do you want to be? Many people tell me I want to be a CEO. 
CEO always pops up. I want to be the lead advertiser or lead marketer or lead something. It's always the head person, right? So think of, of that great achievement that you want to, to achieve. And I want us to walk through that journey of you achieving it. So you start to look for work after you've gone to school, you've done your experiences, whatever it is that you've put before yourself to achieve your goal. The first thing, you might not actually get the opportunity to get into that field that you wanted to. And because you have bills that are pending, so now you've finished school, you're over 18, you're an adult, you need to take care of yourself, isn't it? You have bills to pay, so you decide, I'm going to stop that dream of mine, that vision. Let me go do what I can do to make money to pay my bills, right? So that, that's the first exit out of that scene. The second one, say you get the opportunity, you get into your field through your output, you start to realize, ah, this is not really what I wanted to do. This is not really the place for me. I'm actually not even good at this. When I look at my colleagues, I see, oh, everybody's doing such a good job and I'm not really catching up. So you exit the scene on a competence-based issue. You're just not good enough to keep up with what that particular task requires. Third one, you have so much conflict with the people around you till you're like, this situation around me has become inhabitable for me. I need to leave. So you exit out your skills to do it, so you get out. And sometimes you succeed. You become the best. You become that CEO. But even still, in the midst of that, you still get bitterly disappointed by your results. Why? Let's take an example of maybe you were in advertising. You may find yourself working for a company that does not even believe in the principles that you practice. And some of the work that they're making you produce literally makes you want to jump out of your skin. So it's no longer about, did you get there? Did you know how to do it? Is everything around you working okay? It's just when you look at the work you produce, you're disappointed. And the satisfaction you If we were to take the situation of a person who's farming, you've gone, you've planted your half acre of something, and then good old locusts decide 2020 is the year they're coming, and there goes your harvest. Nothing that you had anticipated, right? You couldn't have foreseen this last year when you were planning about how you'll plant this and grow this. Or you decide to be innovative. You come up with an organic hair product. Then all of a sudden, a competitor floods the market with something similar that has been imported that costs almost half the price of what you're selling. So before you know it, you're out of work. You're out of this thing that you were planning to do. Your effort in school, at work, or in every other sphere of your life will not always bear fruit, even when you give it your best. So even in our best days, we're working with a system that is stacked against us. And that's what Timothy Keller is trying to bring out in his book at this time. That things are no longer looking the way they looked for God. When God said, let there be light, it happened, right? When Adam was called and told, here, name the animals, and he named the mosquito a mosquito, did it turn around and say, no, I'm a zebra? It didn't. But then, for us, things are not as straightforward as they were 
for God and for Adam when they were working. Things turned out perfectly for them, and for us, it just doesn't turn out that way. So under the curse of sin, we see the fruitlessness of our labor. Yes, we can work and work, but those thorns, they keep choking our plants and causing our plants to die. So our work and the fruit of it is not always seen. How exhausting is that? If you count the number of times you've made your bed, you'll sit down out of fatigue. But every time you don't make it, there's always an issue, isn't it? So you keep doing this thing that keeps repeating itself and it never really bears the fruit of completion or done or something to that nature. King Solomon also mentions how work isolates us in Ecclesiastes 4, 7 to 8. And like in Juma's story, where I had mentioned before, he was separated from his family, he was not able to use his gifts to do other things that God had called him to. Yes, he was still achieving his dream, he was using some of his talents, and he can say the benefits of what the work he did all those years. But in the midst of all that, when he reflected, what did he find? There was fruitlessness. He did not have certain things like relationships with his children or friends or even having used the skills that he was given by God to use, other skills outside of his work. Our memory verse two weeks ago, which was mentioned here, was Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, okay, let me interact this a bit. Who remembers the verse? I know already did, but for those of us who do, could we recite it together? Colossians 3.23. I like the, the whisper over there, I, but I had, I had all the words. There are people who have actually gotten it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for your human masters. I hope you all heard that he did not say when things are working, right? Or when you want to make a lot of money. Or when the crisis is too big, that's when now you start to work at it with all of your heart. It didn't say that. It said whatever you do. So the first thing I want you to walk away with today, and the first point is that expect that your work will be fruitful. You have to have faith that it will bear fruit. But then you also need to understand that it too will be fruitless. An expectant heart is a heart of faith, believing that when the evidence shows otherwise, it will still come to pass. Expect those thorns, for they will come to choke your harvest. You didn't expect the locusts, but now the locusts have come. Understand that there is a time of fruitfulness. You didn't expect that competitor to do that to you. You didn't expect your team member in your team not to kick the ball at you, and then you thought now you were doing so well, and now you ended up with an injury that has lasted you six months in hospital, Expect that there shall be fruitfulness even when you are seeking to that. You know that pain it causes you, that you're feeling like you're going mad because what am I going to do? These locusts have come. Think of the people who are caught up somewhere in a country that has now decided no flights are leaving and no flights are coming back. They are locked in that country. They were maybe on transit because of the virus. How do you think that person is feeling? They may be physically fine, they're not sick, they're not infected, but they're experiencing some form of pain, some form of frustration. 
expect those kinds of things. That way, they will not blind you and you may remain focused on the work that God has called you to do. Because what happens to most of us, we get caught up in the fruitfulness. We start to say, ah, then what was the point? And we forget that God has given us an assignment. We have work to do. And so when we quickly give up, we're then not able to do what God called us to do. And how will you be able to do this? First of all, you need to identify the problem within you, which often tends to be greed within yourself, envy within yourself. You're jealous about what your neighbor seems to be doing so easily and you, you're struggling to do and present these things to God. Because God is the one who has given you that assignment in the first place anyway. And he knew you would face those challenges. And he was ready to walk with you through that journey. He has told us he will never leave us nor forsake us. So don't let the thorns deter you. Don't let them bring you to a halt. Don't let them change your focus and cause you to completely miss your mark. God created you for a purpose with a mission that he has only given to you. Nobody else can achieve it for you. So you still have to get past that frustration. You have to focus most on your, of your energies on the work and not what is not working. Because for sure, there are many things that are not going to work and they will frustrate you. They will cause you a lot of pain. But the more you sit in the frustration, the more you will forget your assignment and what God intended for you to do. So I, I hope we end up frustration. And looking at any work that is, that is, is a fruitless search. If you think that things have gotten thick here, then you move there, hoping that they'll not get thick. There is where they're going to get thicker. So don't look for an easier road, but look to get past those challenges. In Ecclesiastes 2, 18 to 20, I want us to read the verse, all of us together. Let's read loudly, guys. 2, 18 to 20. Verses 2, 18 to 20. Whose heart has begun, has begun to despair when you've had that? I mean, this is the wisest guy. He had already lived a good chunk of his life. So he had experienced what fruitfulness meant. He had experienced what having in abundance meant. And now he's reflecting and he's saying, um, yeah, all this toil is just a waste of time. Who feels that they're in a state of despair when they think of that? I like that you're young because then you don't think that way yet. I've seen two hands. Thank you for those hands. But I also acknowledge that a good chunk of them are, um, 
have experienced the pointlessness of life. So whether quickly or slowly, all the results of our toil will be wiped away by history. All work, even the most historic, will eventually be forgotten and its impact totally neutralized. Thus, if your work is fruitful today, it will ultimately be pointless if this life under the sun is all there is. Now, I want to put for you two, two photos here. Um, I want you to tell me who they are, who she is. Not her name per se, but what they've done. What has she done? Anybody? Guys, there's no for whispering. Just say, what did she do? You know her, right? You know her, yes? What did she do? What is she known for? Planting trees, yes. Protecting Uhuru Park, yes. Protecting Karura Forest. So at least you don't, you're not unaware of who she is, right? Is there anyone who doesn't know her? Like, seriously? You don't know her? Great. One person out of the rest. We shall talk to you later about what she did. Let's put the other photo. If you do, just say, say what you know her for. I've already given you her name, so <laughs> if you don't know her name, you don't know her. But then if you know her name, what do you know her for? Sorry? I didn't hear. I didn't hear. Medicine. You know her for medicine? That's a good guess. Uh-huh. Sorry? No, she was not a nurse. So I'm just going to give you a few pointers because I don't want to run out of time. So Marie Curie, she was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize in physics in 1903. Did we clap for her? <laughs> and as if that wasn't enough, she won a second Nobel Prize in chemistry in 1911 making her the only person who has two Nobel Prizes. Her efforts in why she won those Nobel Prizes have come a long way into what we call X-rays today. A virus, right? Who is an X-ray? You see how over the years, it's just a century ago, 1903, 1911, right? We're now in 2020. You don't know of her. A hundred years from now, people might not know about Bangari Madai and what she did, right? Because obviously, her achievements are like, are you kidding me? And how do we not know about her? And we don't know about her. So it just goes to show that there will be a time, no matter how fruitful you are, people will not value your work. People will not value why it is that you did it. And you'll look back and be like, what was the point of it? Of course, I'm not saying that there was no point in what they were doing, but I'm saying that most of us, and, and Timothy Keller brings it up, most of us seek work, seek to do things with our skills and abilities given by God to boost our own self-image. If these women wanted to do something for their own good, they wouldn't have achieved what they did. Most of us, 
in our generation are not considering work to glorify God or to seek to use our gifts to do the assignment God has given us. We tend to talk about things like, I want to be around smart people. I want to earn lots of money. I want to do things that most people are not able to do. And by things here, we're not talking about those things. We're talking about, I'm going to go on a cruise ship. Isn't it? See, the no- I can see the heads nodding, yeah? And less of what Wangari Mathai did and less of what Marie Curie did. The other thing is, we often forget that we are the hands and fingers of God serving the human community. Any time we're going to have to take our usefulness and make it last so that it's no longer pointless, will always have to be a time when we serve others. When God created Adam and Eve, he didn't intend for Adam to enjoy the, the, the place alone. And that's why he told him to take care of it, work it, with Eve, fill it. There was an assignment. Each time you forget your assignment, things will not go south. They go super south. Like you forgot God, because we already said there'll be challenges, right? And we tend to think of challenges as south. But when you walk away from God, when you refuse to seek his guidance, when you refuse to seek what it is he intended for you to go through, even your worst time at that work process, then you're going to look back and see that it was all pointless. Something that Juma came to, what happened to my life? When we combine these two things, our focus on self-image and us not seeking to be God's hands to serve the world, then we are definitely guaranteed to have a recipe for dissatisfaction and find our work meaningless. Work has become a social status symbol rather than a consideration of gifting and passion and contributions to the world. The status of work has become a defining moment. In fact, any work that is not paid for and paid for well is not considered work at all. And I'm sure many of you are going to identify with these statements. You've probably had them. When you meet someone for the first time, they always ask you, what do you do? And that answer is so easy when you have an answer to what you're doing. But when you don't have an answer, are you going to say, oh, I woke up this morning, I made my bed, I made breakfast? Because, of course, those things don't sound like work, right? But we have become a society that looks at what did you study in school? How many points did you get in the exam? Rather than what are your capabilities and capacities? What did God put in each one of you? We are all not going to be number one, for sure. We're all not going to get the A's. So let those who get the A's do the A thing, and let the rest of us who have other skills. We partner with God as creators, and therefore our work should unlock the potential of others and cultivate the world that the Lord created. Keller says, if, you, if your mind is set upon working the work, upon serving the work, then you will know you have nothing to look for. King Solomon said, there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is his lot in Ecclesiastes 3.22. Our society is pushing us and sometimes drawing us to certain concepts of work. But if we were to choose honestly, we may choose based on what comes naturally to us. It feeds our God-given gifts and our capacities. We would also want to look 
at choosing work that benefits others, not just ourselves. Because the truth is, God has not given you your talent and skills for your own use. If he's given you a gift to compose music, you can rest assured it's not for the music that you're going to be listening to. It is for others to listen and enjoy that music. If you have a gift of compassion, a gift towards... I, ha I have a friend who, from when we were young, she just always wanted to clean wounds. How disturbing is that, right? For those of us who are scared or, you know, eked out by wounds. But that was her passion. That was what she was always drawn to. And of course, she was not looking to clean wounds on herself, right? She was looking to clean wounds on others, serving others. And today she is serving others. She's a nurse now. And that is what God intends for us to use our skills and our talents for. It's not always a straightforward road, but each one of us is going to have to come to a point where you work out clearly within your mind and at a very personal level how your work serves the world. It cannot be about you. If you have a pet, are you taking care of your pet as you should? If you have a garden, are you tilling that garden as you should? What is it that God has placed in your hands? Are you using it as you should? So what to do? Amid the thorns, the food comes forth. That's what Adam was told by God, that he will eat the plants of the field. Work will still bear some fruit, and it will make sense at some point. And then it may not bear the fruit you anticipated or wanted, but always remember it will bear some kind of fruit. We do not want to end up with seemingly fruitful careers that do not allow us to engage with the world or our other skills like Juma did. We now know that it will be frustrating. No, it will be fulfilling and useful all at the same time. So I think we can identify with these things in our school and work and seek to get to a place where we look at our work and everything we're doing as God's purpose to fulfill what God wanted us to achieve. These dreams, these desires, the talents, the skills he has given us, they cause us to have a deep aspiration that will come complete in the fruition of God's work in his time. So I thought of stopping there. Then I wondered, so what do you take away from this? And I recalled a survey that I asked a couple of colleagues of mine in 2015 to take. I asked them a simple question. What is it that you would tell 13-year-old you, given now that they had worked for over 10 years in different fields? And I also asked them to make sure they answer their questions with always, make sure, and don't. So those were the three criterias that I gave them. And I thought this would be simple ways for you to be practical in how you come together with the realities that you have to work in everything you do. And your work should honor God. But it gets frustrating. Here are some of the things that are practical that you can cultivate. And so I want us to just read out through them. I'll read them out with you since I have seen there is not a good choir basis going on. But I want us to read them together. And I want you to pick out the one that's relevant for you and start practicing it today in the hope that you will look to the fruitfulness and your work not altogether being pointless. Always be grateful. 
of who you are. Always respect your parents. Listen and obey them. Please say them with me. Always think before you make a decision. Always surround yourself with positive people. I need you to change it. Always pick yourself up when you make a mistake. Learn from it and build your success from it. Always believe in yourself and know that God has placed you here for a purpose. Always take time to learn new things in the kitchen, around the house, at school, in your environment. Let your curiosity guide you. Always smile, be kind, be truthful, be thankful. Always appreciate other people. Always love your neighbors. Always think fast before you do anything. Always ask questions if you do not understand, even if they are embarrassing. Ask your parents. Make sure, make sure you concentrate on the important things in life. Make sure you establish what is important. Make sure what you do will benefit you and others positively. Make sure you listen to your parents, your guardians, elders, good advice. Make sure when you make a mistake, reflect on what you could have done differently and don't repeat the same mistake. Make sure you ask all the questions that pop up in your head to someone you trust and feel comfortable with, whether it's your parents, your older siblings, or your guardians. Make sure you give your best. Aim for excellence in all areas, schools, relationships, hobbies, work, etc. Make sure you pray. Make sure you are orderly. Make sure you seek guidance. Make sure you complete your tasks. Make sure you shower every day and maintain personal hygiene. Make sure you do well in school. Your future is dependent. Of course, because they know 13-year-olds don't want to listen to a lot of don't do this, don't do that. Those were few. Don't try to be someone else. Be you. Don't worry about the changes your body is going through. They are part of your transition into adulthood, which is a wonderful thing. Don't be afraid to fail or fall. Just remember to get up and try again. Don't cheat, steal, be rude, or run away from school or your duties. It never goes well. Don't do things because your friends are doing them. It was in April 2015 when I asked them to do that. These are the answers they gave me. Do you see how relevant they are to today? I've never used them anywhere else, and I don't even know why I did it then. But when I looked through these answers, I said it must be for us to learn that even when it seems that things are fruitless or pointless, there is still something we can do to get there. So I want us to pray. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you glory, O God, for reminding us of the assignment that you've given each one of us, that you have a purpose for us, O God. You have something that you have given us that, Lord, you want us to use 
to work on this earth, O God, that we may serve others and that we may honor you and glorify you, O God. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal these things to us. I pray that you will give us endurance when frustrations and pain become too difficult for us to bear. I pray that you will give us a spirit that will not give up on the assignment that you've given us and that we will not get caught up in looking at all the things that are going wrong and forget about your faithfulness and forget that it is you who has called us to wait, O God. May we always place you at the center of the work that we do and may we seek to honor you in everything that we do from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, O God. We ask you, Father, that for each one of us, we will take away something that we will work on based on what we have heard, O God. And as we continue reading this book and as we continue in this journey of learning how to work with you, Jesus, daily, may, we, may it be something that we practice in our, our lives today until the day we die. For we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.